friends. Welcome to the Mobile Monger Podcast, where we go behind the scenes in the cheese world to chat with the people making, selling, or distributing your favorite specialty food products. I'm your host, Janae Muha, certified cheese professional, longtime cheesemonger, and producer advocate. Most cheesemongers dream of opening their own shop at some point, but the road there can be a long and expensive journey. Talking to those who have forged the path can help give a roadmap to making it happen. Laura Downey is co-owner of Fairfield and Greenwich Cheese Company in Connecticut, and we chat about the strategies they've employed for their continued success. So my name is Laura Downey. I am the co-owner and, of course, cheesemonger at Fairfield and Greenwich Cheese Company and also Cheesemonger Box, our e-commerce Cheese of the Month club um, that we also do. I have been working in cheese about 14 years, um, retail all the way. (laughs) Um, I got into cheese because there was a need in our community for a cheese shop. There was nothing in Fairfield, Connecticut, which we're a bedroom community of New York City. So a lot of people commute into into New York. So I knew it was the right place for a cheese shop. And I guess there had been one a long time ago, but it had closed. So I kind of, when we first moved here, I waited until my kids were a little bit older um, because I kind of knew I have a bit of a retail background, so I know what it's like. Um, And once they were old enough, I decided to go for it. So found the perfect location next to a wine uh, store. Um, Cause in Connecticut, we can't sell wine and beer together with food. So they're separate, we're not allowed to. So I thought being next to a really nice wine store would be a perfect, it also happens to be in my neighborhood. So I literally can walk over there in three minutes, which was super convenient. And I ended up partnering with Chris. We had met through a mutual friend. He had a caterer, catering business. And he was looking for something to get out of catering. And he was interested in working with me. And we decided to partner and open the cheese shop. So, and then eight years later, we opened Greenwich Cheese Company. So Awesome. Um, so I'm just wondering, like, how, what, I know that with the retail background, but how did you think cheese? Like, were you just looking for good cheese? cheese. Yeah. Yes. Like, I'm just wondering how that <laughs> impetus came about of like, what spurred the, oh, I want a cheese shop near me. So that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. Well, I, when we first moved to Fairfield, my husband and I, we, um, we came from Boston. And when we were in the Boston area, there was Formaggio Kitchen. There was a, out in Arlington in the suburb, there was a, wine store that has small cheese counter. So my husband and I used to like every Friday night, we didn't have enough money to go out. Our kids were babies at the time. Um, And I would make a really nice dinner and I'd always stop at the cheese shop and get us something nice. And I, when we got here, I just couldn't believe I didn't have that. The only, we didn't even have Whole Foods at the time. So there was Stop and Shop, which is not a very remarkable supermarket and very limited choice. And I was like, wow. And the thought like of being in Fairfield, it's a pretty well-to-do, well-heeled community. 
there's plenty of money here. So it just, I knew that the community could support a cheese shop. So yes, it started out as a personal, <laughs> there's <laughs> no cheese in Fairfield. Um, the closest shop was in Darien. Um, and it's not that far, but for me, it was, it was I, traveling 95 is I 95 is never convenient around here. So um, I knew that we could have one in town and Fairfield's a pretty good sized town, 60,000 people. So um, I knew that it probably would work if I could find the right location and rent. So sometimes personal need for cheese really trumps <laughs> everything else and you just have to make it happen. <laughs> exactly. And for me, like Chris was the perfect partner because he had a background in catering and in food handling. Cause I did not have that. I, I'm a great cook. I love to cook. Um, but I've never like, I wouldn't know, you know, food handling or any of that when I was starting out, but I did have a really good background in retail. I had worked at Lord and Taylor as a buyer. Um, when I first got out of college, um, I had managed stores before. So I really had a good understanding of how retail worked. So combining with Chris's food background, um, it was a really good partnership um, and it's been a really good partnership. We're still partners. So <laughs> <laughs> that sounds pretty perfect. Cause I feel like a lot of people do jump into the food world without any real background in it. Yeah. And then they're like, Oh, this isn't like just cooking at home where like you actually have to yeah, sanitize yeah. things and understand cleanliness processes. And exactly. <laughs> and you know, when we were putting like building out Fairfield, when we were building, I mean, we pretty much did it all ourselves. Um, you know, he, he kind of knew like where things should go just naturally from working in a kitchen. Like he, he knew, um, like how our flow should be, even though he had never sold cheese and he didn't know anything about cheese, um, either. So it, it really, it was, it was a really good, um, he was a really good partner for me. Um, and also quite frankly, he had the cash, so <laughs> <laughs> that makes for an extra great partner <laughs> yeah he, he had like recently sold a house and made some money on it that he had sort of flipped and he and his wife I don't know they didn't really they thought they were going to build another house and then they decided not to and then when my business plan came along because I, I did write the business plan um for it and sort of what I wanted to do he um he was like, well, I have a little money. And I mean, we didn't open, didn't spend a lot to open the shop, maybe $60,000 all in um, because we did everything ourselves and we started super small. So, you know, we started with like 15 to 20 cheeses. It was nothing. And a few crackers on the shelves and used equipment and cheapest subway tile we could find and you know we really bootstrapped it um and it let it grow organically so we, we're a good partnership not only just like we both have similar feelings of how business should develop like we wouldn't spend millions of dollars opening a shop ever so it's been great um the i'm just thinking about the learning curve of also not only learning about food handling processes, but just cheese Jeez. knowledge. So how yeah. did you go about looking at that? So I would say I probably took the lead on that. Um, I had read this silly little 
book. It was like this tiny little book that Martha Stewart had written of all people. Not, not a huge fan, but I had seen this book that she had written about entrepreneurship. And I was kind of like, I'm just a little curious. So I bought the book and I read it in probably one sitting because it wasn't very big. And one of the things that really like resonated with me was she said that no matter what your business or what you decide to, to do, that you have to make yourself an expert in it for it to work. And I was like, gosh, that makes so much sense. And, you know, if you think about her, you know, whether you love Martha or hate Martha, you know, she's polarizing. I get it. You have to admire her business gumption. Like just, she's a genius when it comes to entrepreneurship and business. And she made herself an expert back in the eighties on housekeeping of all things entertaining, you know, starting with catering and entertaining, but then she evolved it into house, you know, how to keep house of all things. And, you know, she built a media empire based around that. So it just really resonated with me. And I thought, well, if we're going to open a cheese shop, I got to have to learn everything there is to about, about cheese. So while we were, you know, building out the store, I went into the city and took, did the Murray's boot camp for three days, um, which was sort of my first experience in like a more professional, you know, thinking about cheese professionally. Um, it was hugely eye-opening. Actually, Zoe Brickley was one of the instructors back in the day. <laughs> and also uh, Taylor Kokalis, who is one of the owners and founders of Good Food Jobs, was the other instructor. So I sat in that class for three days and Probably at the end of the first day, I was like, oh, I am so in the right business for myself. Like, I just, I love food. I love good food. I love wine. I love pairings. I just, I love the whole thing. And it, I realized in that moment in that class that I was doing the right thing. And I was from there, I was just, I'm going to taste everything I can taste. I'm going to read everything I can read. And I did. Um, and you know, Chris side by side with me, I did it with him. Um, he didn't do the boot camp, but I brought it all home to him and gave him all the work, you know. And we've been, you know, that's the one thing I love about cheese is that I learn something every single day. Um, it's an endless topic. You could never master the whole thing. So I for me, that's really appealing. I absolutely agree after this is my 21st year in the industry. And I'm just like, I, yeah, I just, I can't, there's not, there's never an end to my knowledge. Like there's always more I can learn about or taste or whatever. And so I normally I flit around with like all of the different things that I'm interested in, but cheese has been the right. constant of like, <laughs> this has been yeah. my life thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was just, I was sitting here this morning you know doing the payroll or whatever and I was getting whatsapp messages our lead cheesemonger Matthew um, is on the Essex uh, internship the first internship at uh, Quesaria 1605 in Manchego our Manchego producer and he like was photo dumping me and then he starts texting me you know because it must be the evening there and um, 
you know, he's telling me everything he learned today. He was in the, in the pasture, he was with the sheep, he was with the shepherd. And I'm just like, wow, like, I didn't know that, you know, he's dropping all these new things about, I thought I knew a lot about the producer. I have not been there, um, but he's spending two weeks there. So just the things I'm learning through, even through him, um, it's great. It's, it's so much fun. And there's something to be said also about learning through the people that you are teaching too, because there's so much that you gain from giving your knowledge to someone and how they interpret that and what they deal with from behind the counter or whatever. There's so much that they can give back to you too. It's such a, a big circle. Yep. Yep, exactly. And I, you know, I think that's sort of the atmosphere that Chris and I've tried to foster in our shops is that we share and we learn and we definitely want to support our staff in doing things like that internship yeah it's amazing um so i would love to know a little bit more because i haven't had a chance to visit um about just fairfield and greenwich like cut to order shop um how many people do you have employed um what is the kind of general vibe does each shop have its own vibe or yeah, they have, they sort of have their own vibe, but they are very similar. Um, we are definitely full service cut to order um, shop with, you know, probably a little unique in the independent retail world of, of cheese shops. Um, over 50% of our, over 50% of um our sales are actually cut to order cheese. So we realized from the beginning, you know, this is what we, we wanted to have a proper cheese shop in Fairfield and then Greenwich, Connecticut. And what did, what did that look like? And to us, it was cutting cheese to order, sharing it with customers. You know, part of our mission has always been to get Fairfield and Greenwich people to eat better cheese and get it on the table more often, not just for special occasions. You know, we want a a hunk of Pleasant Ridge out for lunch, you know, not just for a birthday party. So we really have stuck to that. um, And our shops are thriving despite the challenges because it is not easy to just be a cut to order cheese shop in America. Um, We can't have wine and beer, so we don't rely on the sales of that at all. Um, We have very limited sandwich situation. We do one sandwich of the day, which is whatever the monger who opens the shop feels like making, you know, to use up ends of prosciutto and stuff. We make maybe six to eight of those. Um, And we do a grilled cheese, uh, which again is one grilled cheese. You can add tomato or ham to it. It's, you know, chef shred from Jasper Hill. We don't, they can't pick cheeses. It's very straightforward. We make tomato soup and that's what we serve. That's the only thing we do. Um, Now it's been super interesting to see the difference in the stores. So Greenwich has had the, those three offerings since, the, since we opened in the beginning. And Fairfield, we only added that when we opened Greenwich. So Fairfield never had that until 2014. 
Um, we sell way more sandwich of the day, grilled cheese and soup in Greenwich than Fairfield. I don't know if it's because it's been there or that the, that customer likes prepared foods. They are less likely to cook. Um, you would think being in the same county that the towns would be similar. They're really not that similar. Um, Fairfield's a pretty well-to-do town. Greenwich is well-to-do on a next level. And so we, we deal with a lot of household help and, and people who shop for other people. Um, you know, it's just, it's a little bit different. Um, Fairfield, I would definitely say at the moment is, is definitely moving the most cheese out of the two stores. Um, we've also struggled a little bit with staffing in Greenwich, finding people who were enthusiastic and knowledgeable and, you know, to get behind the counter. Um, recently we've lucked out and we have some amazing people in, in our Greenwich store. So we really do expect to see the cut to order cheese sales go up there because we have an amazing staff there with lots of experience. So we'll see. How many people does each store employ? Um, ideally about five, four full-time and like one part-time person is, is sort of ideal. It fluctuates <laughs> right now. I hate to even talk about it. We're in a pretty good spot. Um, we, uh, I, ooh, we're fully staffed. I don't, I hate saying it out loud, <laughs> but um, for the first time in probably four years. So, you know, the pandemic, we stayed open. Um, everyone stayed employed, but we didn't have enough people. And then even as things opened up, um, we have been busier than ever. And the last two years, we haven't had enough people and it's it's been pretty hectic, stressful on everybody, our current staff and on me and Chris in particular, I think, feeling a little burned out actually. <laughs> so I'm really hopeful about the next this next year. Um, because I feel like Chris and I can step back a little bit and maybe run the business instead of this place, these places running us, because that's what's been happening for two years. And so. you deserve that also. <laughs> you just, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's, it's very hard work. People ask me all the time, like, why don't you open a shop? Seattle doesn't have enough. And I'm like, I don't really want to work that much. <laughs> yeah. That's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it is um, a lot. It's, it's, yeah, it's, a challenge every day. I mean, if I didn't love it so much, I definitely, I, I couldn't do it. it. It's a lot of work. Definitely. I Working think it also else is not much work. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't work for anyone else, but still like what I do is very uh, independent of a lot of other things. Yes. So yeah. it, it's flexible. <laughs> um, yeah. Because that's, I think, having a partner also helps. Like uh, with Courtney and Taylor here in Seattle, they're looking to open a shop on the South End, but they have each other. I don't really have anybody else that I could really work with, so it would be pretty much all on me. And I'm just not. I don't yeah. want to take on. Oh, I, I definitely would never, could never, and would not want to do it without a partner. Absolutely not. It's, it's a lot, um, especially with two shops. But even with one shop, I mean it. It's nice to have somebody else to 
divide the tasks and and bounce ideas off of and like yeah. you know vent to when things get a little bit oh rough yeah and to he somebody else who understands complain. he listens to me complain a lot <laughs> <laughs> and stress out a lot He's right and that's chill. a whole other type of relationship besides like you know your marriages and whatnot and then you have yep. your working relationship too and that's you know Oh yeah. Relationships in and of themselves are difficult to maintain too. So. Yep. Yep. <laughs> We've done that somehow. <laughs> you know what? You just make it work. Um, so at the beginning of the pandemic, I heard, I was listening to an interview and I can't remember what, who you were talking to, but um, that you had created a mailing list and that is kind of what propelled you through the pandemic when things were really tight yeah. Um, I'm just want to know a little bit more about that. Like, how do how did you maintain that? Like, what do you think made that so successful and work really well in your area? Because I'm not sure if that would work everywhere so much. But um, I just am really interested in that the mailing list taking you through the pandemic. Yeah, I would definitely say it did because I was able to directly communicate and appeal to our customer base. So from the beginning, when we first opened in Fairfield in 2009, um, we started capturing people's emails um, voluntarily, of course. Um, we eventually tied it to a reward, little reward and loyalty program. Um, so if they give us their name and their email, um, we you know give them a 10% off coupon every for every $350 they spend. Um, but the one thing they all really love is that it keeps track of all their purchases. So if they can't remember the name of a cheese, we can look it up for them. That That's actually, I think they care more about that than the 10% discount, quite frankly. They love that they can look at their history and remember, because they can't remember cheeses apparently. So um, I don't know how, but they don't. So it, they love that. So, you know, just having already been in business for as long as we've been, the list has just grown and grown. And when we opened Greenwich in 2014, we um, of course started doing it immediately as well. The Fairfield list being 14 years in is quite large. It's upwards of 10,000 people. Oh, wow. on it. Um, I try to keep up with the list and clean it up every now and then. What's super interesting to me is that pre-pandemic, um, you know, I would do a newsletter, not every week, but maybe like every other week. Um, sometimes just something salesy, but a lot of times something like to try to teach them something. Cause they, I always find like they tend to open those emails if they're learning something more than if you're just trying to sell them something or I'll combine it or whatever. But we had a really good open rate. Um, our open rate was upwards of about 25%, which I didn't know, but I guess is a good, uh, considered a really good open rate for retail uh, emails. During the pandemic and subsequently even after things, even now, our open rate hovers around 60%. Oh my gosh, wow. Which I don't know what happened. I, I don't know if people were just home more or they're working from home more. So they're reading it more. And I don't know. It was really interesting. I was really able to use that, that 
new the email list to communicate during the pandemic. Um, you know, starting with like, you know, we're going to be closing our doors, but we're open. If you need something, call us. Um, we're working on an online ordering system, which we did pretty quickly. I threw a bunch of cheeses up because before we didn't really, we weren't set up to sell online. We sold gift baskets online and we sold, they could order a cheese platter for pickup. That was about it. We didn't have individual cheeses or crackers online or anything, but we quickly did sort of do the pivot thing, got them a bunch of stuff up there, core things, and they were able to um, go online and order. Um, it wasn't the best system because it literally was me on a Wix website. It was not very good. So a year afterwards, we got a better, much better website with way more bells and whistles. Um, but in the moment, it, it is what we did. And I was also able to communicate with them just like how important, like if they want to make sure that Fairfield Cheese and Granite Cheese Company makes it through this pandemic, um, that we need the support. I asked for it. You know, I was pretty blunt in my communication that like, we don't know what's going to happen because, you know, in, in the moment when things were really unknown and we didn't know what was going to happen, we, um, you know, we were like, oh gosh, can we didn't even know we could stay open at one point. I remember thinking, oh my God, we're going to have to close. But then realizing we sold food and we were allowed to stay open. So we we're like, okay, well, that's good. And then I was, we need to communicate with everybody, but they really took it to heart. You know, they, I think we've been in the community long enough um, that even customers that we hadn't seen in a, in a really long time um, returned because they were like, wow, we want to make sure, you know, we might only come once a year or twice a year, but we want to make sure the small business in our town doesn't go away. So they really rallied. I, I don't know if I didn't have that list, like what would have happened. Um, but we had probably our best two years ever during the pandemic. Wow. I mean, that's Weird. really amazing that people were so um, responsive to the those calls to action because sometimes that doesn't really happen. Uh, no, no, it, it doesn't. Um, yeah, we were, I think we were really pretty lucky. So, well, and it sounds like, you know, with the consistency of putting out that newsletter too, because, you know, I like the idea of like, it may not have to be every week, but just that consistency of doing it since 2009, you've established yourself in the place. And I think that that is a huge piece of it. Um, I do have a very technical question. Like what software were you using to capture people's, um, their email and also like their, how did you keep track of their the cheeses that they ordered before? So, I mean, we've had a couple different point of sale systems over the years. Okay. Currently, we're running Revel POS, which is fine. It it reads variable code bar weights, which is the most important thing because we do cut to order cheese with we can't stand at a register typing in and the volume that we do it needs to scan. So there's not a lot of choice, but Revel does have a pretty good customer uh, database thing. And there is a reward program built into that, 
that you can sort of decide what the thresholds are and the percentages off and stuff. And if you, as long as you ring it under their name or their phone number, it keeps a running list. So we sort of do put the onus on the customer. Not everybody wants to be tracked or yeah. so they, when, when they come up to the register to ring out, they, they typically will say, Oh, I'm in the system or we'll say, are you in the system? You know? So yeah, so it, it just does it pretty, it does it pretty easily. And we sort of have tied, I mean, we don't come out and say that if they want to be in the system, they have to give us their email, but it's sort of implied. I mean, I would never not put them in without an email if they really didn't want to give us their email, but I sort of imply it's part of it. And most of them will happily give it up. You know, they can always unsubscribe. The buttons yeah. are there. Yeah. Um, you know, and sometimes people do unsubscribe and that's fine. Um, also, you know, because we do cheese school, um, that's the first way that people find out about the new class schedule is I email it before I Facebook it or Instagram it. So it, if they want to participate in that, which is they do, it's it's we're always sold out of cheese school um, and they want to get in on the class. It sort of also behooves them to be subscribed to the newsletter because they'll be first in line um, right. to to get it. So. I just have never uh, worked in a place that like the last cut to order shop, everything was very, very stripped down. <laughs> there was like yeah. not really any tracking of anything. Um, but I really, I personally would appreciate knowing what I, yeah, I have a good memory, but I still would like appreciate knowing like what I, what did I buy the last like two times ago that I really loved? So. Right. And they're, and they're consumers, you know, you can't expect them to remember all the, like, you know, the name Holla Hawker. They're not <laughs> going to remember that. Like <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> so, you know, they, they, they love the fact that we can look things up. Sometimes it's a double-edged sword because sometimes people get in their little, uh, lanes and it's like you know they're they're in there every week and you want them to try something new um but once you get to know them you can kind of push them a little bit and you yeah. can say sure we'll look it up and you know if it's something like you know they've had holla hawker for the last 20 weeks <laughs> i can say hey have you ever you know want to try something else and i pull out like the alpha tolman i'm like this is very similar you know but made in vermont and they're always willing to take a taste and, you know, and then I can turn them on to something new. You know, it's definitely a relationship thing. So. Absolutely. Uh, speaking of relationships, I feel like you have a really, um, I've always been really impressed with your level of cheesemonger education that you provide and that you support. Um, I just want to talk about that a little bit and sure. how, how do you manage that? How do you make that a priority? It's always been a priority because cheesemongers in general just don't get paid enough. Um, I wish our business could support, you know, $25, $30 an hour because that's what most of them really deserve. Um, you know, I, I would say we're, we fast approached during the pandemic way higher than I ever thought we could go. Um, but the business was also doing really well to support it. So, you know, of course, this year is a challenge. We're seeing sales decline and payroll is way up, but we'll figure out how to 
rebalance that somehow. But um, from the beginning, we sort of realized that, well, we can't pay them what we really would like to pay them. So what can we do to make it up in, in, in some way? Um, and we decided pretty early on that there's so many opportunities within the industry for cheesemongers to you know, be involved in and do, but a lot of those opportunities cost money. So getting the CCP was the first thing. I was like, if anybody who works for us wants to do that, we're going to pay for it. And we do. We pay the whole thing. Flights, food, hotel, the bar bill. I, you know, I mean, so we, we will fully support that. Of course, there's in exchange for, you know, they have to have been with us for about a year before they, you know, and, and be qualified to take the test. And then after they pass the test, they have to sort of agree to stay for one more year. Um, so we reap the benefit of having them for at least that two years when we invest in them, because that whole process of getting that CCP with all the other costs, the con, you know, we're not going to have someone come take a test and not attend the conference. So we have to put them on the membership. We have to pay for their conference fees the test fees, and then of course, all the flight and all that other stuff. So it's, it can be pretty expensive. Um, you know, it's probably upwards of three to $4,000 just yeah, to easily. do it. Um, but for us, it, we find that it's worth it. It, it builds, help builds loyalty. It, you know, it helps us further their career, which is important. Um, important to us. You know, we have a lot of alumni circling around the industry that we're super proud of, um, different facets, people who have been gone to make cheese, distribution, importers, uh, sales reps for smaller creameries, bigger creameries, you know, all sorts of people. So, you know, that, that we did that, but then also like even smaller things like, uh, the barnyard at Larkin, like some of those events, like someone wants to attend those and there's a ticket. I always buy the ticket for them. I always make sure the schedule works so they can cut out early to get into the city to do, to do the event. Um, you know, cheesemonger invitational. When we send somebody to that, I don't make them drive all the way home to Connecticut after and back. I get them a hotel room. You know, for a couple hundred dollars, it makes it so much better. I want them there for those education days. That's my main motivation for the Cheesemonger Invitational is for them to sit for those two days with those producers and importers and really get a deep dive into, you know, it makes them better cheesemongers and more excited behind our counter. So just really supporting them in that kind of stuff. And like, you know, and Matthew being, you know, on this internship, you know, he's, he used one week vacation because his wife, they went for one week and now he's on two weeks, but we're paying him <laughs> those two weeks. He can't afford to not be paid, but it's super important that he does that internship for us and for him. So it's just, that's, yeah, that's amazing. It's and yeah, I, I'm definitely in awe of how you've always seem to really support your mongers like that we just prioritize it you know we 
we try not to spend money where we don't need to spend money. And, you know, everybody has a budget and everyone has different priorities on how they spend their money, right? Some people spend their money on really good food. Some people buy a fancy car. So we just kind of prioritize that um, and try to build, you know, the best cheesemongers we can. Um, and, and we're also fully aware that sometimes eventually they fly the coop, <laughs> you know, they have to, you know, they might want to buy a house one day and they're not going to be doing that in Fairfield County on a cheesemonger salary. Um, I don't know. It's one of the age old dilemmas of the retail side of things is to where do the cheesemongers go and what does that look like going forward? Yeah. I, have a call here soon with the ACS because we're doing the life after mongering um yeah webinars. I saw that. Yeah, yeah so I saw that um yeah I, I was I read that I'm super sort of interested I, I probably should get on that and do it but we have um, our planning call today so it's not until <clears throat> yeah. the end of the month but yeah it's uh because I think it it is one of those things where being a monger is really fun and exciting and you don't get paid a lot, but there is a lot of satisfaction in the job. But then when you get to like my age at 45, like being behind the counter is just, it's like my body's broken from all of the yeah. years from behind the counter. Oh and yeah. It, it's, <laughs> and I'm sure you understand too. Yeah. Um, it definitely gets a lot harder to do that. And also in my old age, I have much less patience for people who are not, yeah coming in with the best of intentions let's just say yeah yeah, yeah. no it, it is really really hard you know I think I don't know I think that this it's a sort of a big I, I feel like we're sort of at a big weird crossroads a little bit lately I don't know I've been thinking a lot about it and I had a really interesting conversation with um Jason Hines of Neil's Yard last summer and he was telling me about what Neil's Yard has been doing as far as like cheesemongers and like what they do next. And they basically have a little bit of a, it's not super formal, but a program where they, um, if they have an exceptional cheesemonger employee who's been with them for a while, and shows some, you know, promise of, um, you know, could possibly have their own store. Neil's Yard is helping make that happen for that, for that cheesemonger. And I, I think about that a lot because I'm like, you know, Chris and I aren't going to open more stores. We're, you know, in our late fifties, like you said, feeling a little broken and it, it, you know, labors this perpetual problem. It's like, we could probably have done more stores had there been a labor pool to support the stores. Um, but it sort of got Chris and I thinking about like, what are we going to do well with our stores and you know, if we have an exceptional person, maybe that is something we should be thinking about. Like, could we help stake them? 
you know, they would obviously still have to have skin and a lot of skin in the game, but you know, I don't know. Well, what does that look like? And I always feel like there's not, there's so many mongers out there. Like if you look at like, for example, all the people who have won the cheesemonger invitational, if you really look at that list, how few of them are still cheesemongers. It's like almost none. They're all working in different facets of the business because no one can really afford. Now, maybe some of those would have wanted to open their own shop had they had the financial backing or somebody to help them do that. So I, I, I think it's a super interesting idea that maybe, I don't know, maybe we need to do that in the US. Uh, yeah, I I mean, watching Courtney and Taylor go through this process of, you know, starting a business that does a lot of um, pop-ups at beer halls and whatnot and trying to figure out a way to make a brick and mortar because they were quoted basically it would cost them like $300,000 to open a shop. And that is just a lot that's a lot of money and not many people have that kind of money and they are trying to bootstrap it as much as possible, but that the, the boots don't have straps a lot of times. It was like, how do no. you bootstrap something when there's no straps? So, right. Right. Yeah. But having a mentor and also someone who can also support in that way is it's, it's huge. That's huge. Yeah. I thought it was just a really interesting model. And they've done it for several people. There's, you know, they're independent shops. They're not Neil's Yard shops. They are, they've got their own name and their own ownership, but Neil's Yard has facilitated and helped them achieve it um, and supported that. So I think it's really interesting. Well, and with the, the shops that we lost over the pandemic too, like, that we're starting to get fewer and fewer. I mean, there's definitely been a lot more that have been opening, which is great. Um, but there's a lot less now that have the history, like what you guys have and like the Antonelli's and like, those are starting to become fewer and far between of the ones who've been yeah, around for the a while. More, the more cut to order G shop, you know, and that's the other thing is that it's, Cut to order cheese shops, you know, for producers is is sort of the gravy, right? Because we're the ones that are really moving a lot of their cheese. Um, and some of the more hybrid models of cheese shops, you know, they sell a lot of cheese plates or a lot of sandwiches and it really doesn't move a lot of cheese. Um, you know, Matteo Keeler told me once that independent cheese shops just don't sell enough cheese. Um, which is why, you know, Jasper Hill has to constantly look for new, for new markets. And when he said that, I was like, wow, you know, he's, he's right. You know, some of course, some more than others, but a lot of these hybrid models just don't, you know, I would like, of course, to see like the, this cut to order thing be the model more than the sandwich shop model. Um, and I think that there's something to be said about the customer experience in a cut to order shop that you don't get in other places because you have the ability to tell the story and to really show the cheese in the way that the producer would best want their cheese represented. Um, and there's right. 
it, it's just a different customer experience. The relationship piece of it, like you were talking about before, I think is a huge piece of it to where like, yeah, you've had Holler Hawker 20 times already. Like let's, let's do something new yeah. and fun, you know, like that's a big yeah. piece of it that is missing in a lot of places, but it is also hard to capture that in a lot of places too. Right. Right. Yeah, it is. It is. I mean, you know, I, I'm well aware that we, Chris and I are sitting in probably one of the best markets for artisan small batch cheese um, in America. You know, we're in a community that has the means and they're well-traveled and they're interested. So, yeah, I know not every place is like this for sure. I think it could be, though. I think there's there's hope. I agree. <laughs> I agree. I would you love know, to see more shops. I, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've been watching um, Sarah. I forget her last name um, in Syracuse, New York. She opened a shop uh, not that long ago. Um, it's called the Curd Nerd. Oh, okay, yeah, and, I follow her on Instagram. And yep. I grew up in upstate New York, so I grew up in Ithaca, not far about an hour from Syracuse. So, like, I know what that area is like. And God bless her. She is, she seems to be doing really well. Like she is banging the drum. Um, and I think she's going to do it. I think it's going to work out really well for her um, in a market that I wouldn't expect it. So I, I do believe it can be done. You know, I just, you have to be, you have to really stick to it. Yeah. <laughs> And it's a process too of like, you know, you're introducing new things to people. So you kind of have to start slow and then get yeah. them to get them to the fun stuff eventually. Yeah. But, you know, it's and a working process. It's like, yeah, a lot about, you know, you really need to do it in a way that is approachable and not so like serious. And, you know, you don't want to do that whole like gatekeeping thing. You, you know, you, you really do need to be approachable yeah from the from the start so anyway um, so what are we what are we looking at for fairfield greenwich in the future do you guys have any fun plans you're just trying to maintain and do what you do and do what you do best yeah you know since we are at the moment blessed with a full staff in two stores um well, this year we're definitely working on some efficiency things, <laughs> you know, just trying to figure out how to, how to, some of our more back end administrative stuff in particular, um, that is really takes a lot of our time, um, how to like do it easier and better. So we're working, we have a new bookkeeper, we're, we're working on a lot of that, um, the other thing, when Matthew gets back, Matthew is our lead cheesemonger, um, like I said, and he's in Spain right now, but when he gets back, he has another week, um, we're going to sit down and we sort of have realized like we have this, a really highly qualified staff. This might be like the most talent we've had all at once behind two counters and I think that there's a lot of things in the running of the shops that Chris and I could let go. Um, and I think quite frankly, I need to let, I in particular really need to let it go. Um, so I'm not working six days a week. Um, 
because I've been doing that for 14 years. So I, I am, like I said, feeling a little burnt out. So I think it's time to sort of, you know, recognize this talent and I want to sit down with everybody and I want them to tell me the things that they would like to do. And we'll see if we can maybe slot some of them into some of these other jobs, you know, from mundane things like, you know, pricing and signage to, you know, writing a newsletter once in a while or, um, you know, doing some of the ordering, you know, I do all the buying. So I'm like, I spend two days every week ordering and buying and tracking and chasing cheese from all over the place. You know, it takes a lot of time to do that, especially fourth quarter. Like if I could have somebody who was doing that, maybe half of it. Even. <laughs> um, so I think we're going to be working on that. And then we do have some pretty exciting, um, the same Matthew, um, Chris and I are in the middle of, uh, he's going to be a partner. So Amazing. we are in the middle of granting him some shares of the shops. Um, it's taking forever because lawyers, but um, so yeah, so that's really exciting. He's going to be a partner, um, which I'm very happy about. <laughs> Because um, again, some of the responsibility we can now maybe spread out over three of us. <laughs> that <laughs> <And> sounds perfect. <laughs> so yeah, he's just, he's been with us, I think, since 2017. And I have never met somebody who loves being behind a counter and the retail, you know, he's, he's a cheesemonger for life. He's not gonna go work for an importer. He, this is what he wants to do. And he's the perfect person to sort of step into that role with us. So awesome. We're going to do it. So big fun stuff basically is what's happening. Yeah. I love, yeah. I love that. I love that. I'm really excited to go to ACS because we didn't go last year. We sent Matthew went himself alone <laughs> and we didn't go. So I'm really excited to do that. Good old Des Moines. Yeah, Des Moines. <laughs> I see they renovated that Renaissance Savary Hotel. It looks like they renovated it. Because the last time I was there, we stayed there and I was not happy. <laughs> well, I feel like we were there uh, five years too early anyway, because there was so much construction happening downtown. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see kind of how how things have changed since then, even though Des Moines still is one of my favorite conferences. I had so much fun at that conference. You know, Chris always says those were the best parties ever. Yeah. Uh, Maytag throwing that big party for us yeah. when they weren't even that was making so cheese. so nice. And yeah. dunk the cheesemaker. I still, every time I get a chance to oh, with ACS, I'm like, dunk the cheesemaker. We, we need to do it again. Do it again. <laughs> Except I, they need totally. to be in milk. <laughs> yeah. Let's, we should definitely do that. And also the party at La Quercia was amazing. That was that also was amazing. Incredible. Being able to walk down the ham hallways and yeah. eating elotes and yeah, it was yeah. Even though it was yeah. really hot and I don't really like the heat, but I still yes. like that was a really and fun. also I think like everything in Des Moines seemed closed by eight thirty at night. <laughs> that was the other thing. We were like, oh okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, um, that was definitely yeah. still one of my favorites. So I'm excited to see how how it's going to play out this year. Yep, me too. <laughs> um, all right, are you ready for my uh, quick quick round at the end here? Sure, sure. Um, what is your current cheese crush? 
Oh. Oh my gosh. Oh, I know. Shabby shoes from Blakesville Creamery. Mm. Yeah, it's insane. It is insane. We can't keep it in the case because every cheesemonger loves it. And the minute a customer tastes it, they buy a piece. So yeah, definitely. It's Wonderful. Like the best tasting goat cheese I've ever had. Yeah, I've gotten to have some of Blakesville stuff, but I am definitely excited to eat more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's really good. Uh, what's your favorite pairing? Just kind of what your what your go to snacker or what you just love. I mean, I love champagne, so champagne with every cheese. I'm I'm good. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I like that. Just anything and everything with champagne. Just yeah. <laughs> good champagne. Yeah. <laughs> that was implied, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> Um, okay. And your best cheese memory doesn't necessarily have to be the cheese you were eating. It could be just about the ambiance and the people you were around, um, but what sticks out as like your top. So we've partnered up with cheese journeys a couple of times and probably my best memory was when we were on the French and Swiss Alpine trip and we went up to a Letty Vaz producer to the chalet and watched him make Letty Vaz in the chalet over an open fire. And he was so, the cheesemaker was incredibly handsome and he was super generous and he asked me to help him. So I got to help him do it, like pull the curd out and he was swiveling the fire cauldron around and just being there and watching that that cheese is still made that way was like mind blowing. Yeah. That's definitely my favorite cheese memory. That, I mean, just from you explaining it, I'm getting the full sensory experience of like the fire and the hot milk Milky. and yeah, yeah, just the steam in the air. And yeah. And his daughter, his young daughter was there also helping him just the whole thing. The family lives, lives up there all summer. So it was incredible. You know, she was showing us, she was maybe 10 and she was showing us like every animal they had and her chickens and her rabbit. And it was just amazing. Like just, you know, how unplugged they were and just in that environment is incredible. So yeah. definitely. Sounds like a lot of those, but. Yeah. yeah. Sounds like a bucket list trip for sure. Yeah, I definitely, you know felt pretty privileged to be there it was it was pretty amazing uh is there anything that we didn't get to that you would like to talk about or anything that we didn't discuss about the shops that you feel people need to know um no Great. i think we i feel and like we covered it all yeah <laughs> <laughs> um where can people find you uh fairfieldcheese.com and also Instagram, Fairfield Greenwich Cheese, and on Facebook, but not as much because I can't do both. <laughs> um, but yeah, definitely on Instagram is pretty active. So we're there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me and taking time out of your very busy schedule to chat. You are welcome. Thanks for having me. It was great. Always nice to see you. 
This conversation was riddled with tips and tricks for those looking to start their own shop, and I appreciate Laura's candidness. Connecticut is so fortunate to have their commitment to good food. This podcast is recorded, produced, and edited by me, Janae Muha. Music credits to my husband, Ben Muha. If you'd like to continue the conversation, find me on Instagram, Facebook, or Patreon. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite listening platform so more people can find this podcast. Thanks for listening, and remember to keep spreading the word of good courage.